I jumped on the pod this week with a new friend named Julia. Julia is the co-founder and CEO of the Planting Hope Company, and I came to learn about Planting Hope Company and specifically one of their products called Hope and Sesame and the power of sesame milk. It made me pause. It made me giggle. And I reached out to say, I really want to learn more. I want to know what's going on in the food industry. I want to know how I'm being greenwashed how I'm being nutritionally washed, what are the facts, and what's just not great branding versus what's really great inside of these boxes. I fangirled her for a long time and I reached out to say, can we have a conversation? So this one was a long time coming and it's a very special one. I hope it will make you reconsider the type of milk that you drink. Julia, welcome to the pod. I mentioned just before I hit record, I am undeniably having a proper fangirl moment that we get to have this conversation today. So thank you so much for making time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me and for being a fan of what we're doing. Really appreciate Uh, it. A huge, huge fan. Before we dive in, could I ask you to just introduce yourself in the way and with the words that feel most authentic to you, to the audience? Sure. Happy to do so. So my name is Julia Stamberger, and I'm one of the co-founders of what's today the Planning Hope Company. And the Planning Hope Company started from four of us, all of whom were experienced food and beverage entrepreneurs working in the emerging food space. So the kind of better for you new products that you've seen coming out over the last 20 years or so. And we've all worked in the space for a long time, anywhere between 15 to 40 years, depending on the founder, helping to develop and grow a lot of the better few products that you now see at, you know, stores nationwide, whether that be Loblaws or Whole Foods or Safeway or Kroger, whatever it might be. A lot of those better for you independent products have grown up as part of the natural foods industry. You know, our co-founders have played a role in many of those coming to market and growing. And we put together the Planning Hope Company because we saw some big holes in the market. So, you know, an industry which has started off being very virtuous started to get crowded with folks wanting to make money because there was a lot of money in big CPG firms looking at these innovative startups that were taking a lot of interest from consumers in their products and innovating faster than they could. And then they'd buy them to increase their distribution and their innovation with proven authentic brands. As a result, a lot of money came into the industry very quickly, and some of the products that were brought to market seemed virtuous, but really weren't at the end of the day. You know, mm-hmm. Consumers vote with their dollars. They're looking for things that are better for them and better for the planet, and they turn to these ostensibly better for you products to you know, embrace those values. But we saw that there were big holes in the market. We saw a lot of greenwashing and nutrition washing from products that were portrayed as being better for you but weren't necessarily. They just looked at from the marketing products that were portrayed as more sustainable, but really weren't necessarily better from the things that people were leaving behind. And sometimes, you know, less nutritious at the same time. We decided to start the Planning Hope Company to focus on the more impactful pantry staples that people use every day and bringing more nutrition and more sustainability, but also more representation to our industry. 
So the other thing that we saw happening was an industry that had started off with uh, you know, equal number of companies, if not more, being founded by women than men, started to evolve to become very male-dominated mm. and frankly, very white male-dominated. And the reason for that was the capital that was coming into the market to grow those companies mm. was primarily coming from men. And as those companies grew and became you know, more important economically, the executives and the board started to resemble the networks of the people who are providing the capital. Mm. But here's the thing, the consumer that's driving all this adoption is primarily a woman. Mm -hmm. Food is eaten equally by women and men, absolutely no doubt there, but the interest in better for you health environment and bringing those healthier choices from the grocery store into the home has been driven by women, not just moms, not just people with families, but by young women, looking to make a change for themselves, better health, better nutrition. And that's how a lot of folks are being introduced to it is through these influencers, through these early adopters. And that's how the interest is spreading. So with the Planning Hope Company, even though our founders, aside from me, are men, (laughs) they are men who, like me, see the need for female leadership and the benefit to female leadership within this space and having the opportunity to demonstrate that women leaders can make a big difference, decided that when we uh, went public with the Planning Hope Company, that we would put in an all-women board and an all-women C-suite. And to us, that seemed like, you know, a goal that made a lot of sense. And we found out once we did it that we're one of the only ones. (laughs) We didn't expect that. So, you know, today I'm leading a top team of people who are very experienced and dedicated to what we're doing who are doing their best to build out the most nutritious and most sustainable products that can have the biggest impact for our consumer. And that's who I am and what we do. Gosh, my heart skips a beat because I mean, there's many things that you've said. First of all, I want to acknowledge that you've chosen to stay in the game and you've chosen to stay in the game at a time where so much has changed. The newness, the number of new products that have hit shelves and then died and what has been iterated or innovated on. And while you were speaking, I just thought how much of this becomes a marketing game versus a true impact game? Because people are, can put a package and a label on so much and then convince us that that's what we need or that that is better than something else. And you really caught me at the equality piece that it's not that one gender eats more or less than another. Like we all need to eat. It's essential. And the reality is that there's power in our choices. And as you've said, you know, the consumer is voting with, with our dollars. We're choosing what to put in our shopping cart. And you have been on the other side to say, how can I create a product and tell the story that will inspire you to purchase? And I just think that is what a freaking fascinating journey, truly. So you hit on it with journey. We know what to do to the best of our abilities because we have done a lot and made a lot of mistakes and seen a lot of folks repeat these mistakes over time. You know, we're approached continually by companies who had, you know, great products and raised money and went out there and made mistakes in executing. Mm. And it's very easy to do, you know, the barriers to entry to create a product and get in the market are fairly low, Mm. but the, you know, energy effort, expertise, skill to execute effectively Mm -hmm. and get something that's going to really work and be compelling with consumers who Mm. are to your point inundated with so much. 
Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. And that's where we've honed our experience and are bringing more experienced people into the team and really building the most solid team possible mm-hmm. with demonstrated years of execution and having learned these experiences over time through what they've seen yeah. so that we have the best chance of executing effectively for our shareholders. Amazing. So the Planting Hope Company has how many brands under it? Because admittedly, I came to you knowing of one signature product that I want to dive into. And I want to just open my eyes and the ears of the listeners that the Planting Hope Company is in fact, not just one product. Is that right? That's correct. No, it's a, we have four brands today. And we have another brand that we'll be launching later on this year that we developed internally. Most of our brands and products we've developed internally, but we did earlier this year make an acquisition of a company called Right Rice that has uniquely developed effectively a grain of rice that combines rice and beans in the same grain. So traditionally, cultures have eaten rice and beans together because the combination provides a complete protein Mm -hmm. and all nine essential amino acids are represented. So you're getting the equivalent of an animal protein because all animal proteins are complete from a vegetarian source. But if you eat rice and beans separately at different occasions, they won't necessarily complete that amino acid profile. You have to eat them together. What rice rice does is it's a grain that combines rice, lentils, chickpeas, and peas together in a grain. So you do get twice as much protein as you would get from eating rice, but you also get complete protein from that. We have, I think, about 12 different skews and flavors of right rice and then right rice risotto that joined our portfolio earlier this year. And it's a very kind of quick cooking product that you can use, you know, as an entree or side or combine in dishes. And that's been a great addition to what we do. Oh, bless. Well, right rice. Can't wait. We need to dive into the milk world and milk not spelt with an I because you have pioneered sesame milk and you've totally captured me because I look and think sesame seeds are the smallest little seeds. If I open them up incorrectly, they go all over my kitchen and never, ever did I think I would be buying sesame milk. So can you tell me the journey to uncovering the magic of sesame seeds and what your sesame milk trajectory is? So sesame is an absolutely fascinating crop. Everything about it is fascinating. And it's one that we... You know, Wait, Julia, so- we need to know what's fascinating. Not often people tell me that there's a fascinating crop that exists. I didn't even know it was made in crop form. <laughs> so I'll tell you the story of sesame and I will change your mind about what fascinating is regards to a crop. So first of all, we've been eating sesame for over 4,000 years. It's one of the oldest and it's been around forever. And the thing about sesame is, is that it thrives in desert areas. It can grow, you know, in a crack in the sidewalk as a, you know, almost like a weed. It's extremely resistant. So it requires very little water to cultivate. So that's one fascinating thing about sesame. But also it's extraordinarily nutrition dense. Each of those tiny seeds contains a large amount of protein and minerals and vitamins. Seeds are just super tiny. So it's hard to work with. And therefore, traditionally, most of the use of sesame has been through sesame oil. You express the oil and use that. And it certainly has its own benefits and it tastes great. But that pulp that's left over from the expression is actually where all the nutrients are. So when you farm sesame, 
It requires very little water, but also sesame is naturally pest resistant. So it has a bitter acid in the hull of the seed. And when you have sesame on top of hamburger buns, that hull has been removed, so you don't taste it. But if you've ever tasted like straight tahini, there's a bitterness involved. And that's because yeah. that's just, you know, crushed sesame seeds. Yeah. Well, that bitter acid means that pests don't like it and it's pest resistant. So you don't need a lot of pesticides to farm it. So there's that too. Well, sesame also self-pollinates. So that means that you also don't need to ship in pollinators like bees to pollinate it. Now, earlier we touched on almond milk and almonds and almond farming. And I mentioned that not only do almonds use a lot of pesticides and a lot of water, but they also require bees for pollination. Mm -hmm. So during the pollination window for almond trees, millions of bees are shipped in in trucks to almond groves to pollinate those trees. And due to the pesticides and the stress of the journey and the work and the rest, about 30% of them die. So almond farming is actually responsible for killing off a decent amount of our commercial bee population every year. And we were already struggling for bees. Well, here's what's great about farming sesame. So in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, where we get a lot of our seed, a subsistence farmer can use sesame as a rotation crop with a cash crop like cotton. And the thing is about, you know, crops like cotton is they take a lot of the nutrients out of the soil. Well, you rotate it with sesame, it requires very few inputs to cultivate. And the sesame plant matter is so nutritious, it acts as a cover crop and actually re-energizes the soil. Mm -hmm. So functionally, it provides a really important function in agriculture as well in renewing the soil. That phrase, open sesame, that's the sound of the pods. So sesame seeds grow in pods, kind of like big okra pods on a very leafy plant. And if they're left to dry in the seals, those pots dry, desiccate, and then pop. There's an audible pop. And then the seeds disperse themselves. So open sesame comes from the audible pop that you get from dried sesame pods releasing the seeds in the field. Wow. I mean, you had me at fascinating. It's true. Now, I mean, we're not here to dispute different cartons of milk that people may purchase, yet there is something really powerful about education and being aware what goes into almond milk and in the world of so many nut milks can you help us understand where sesame milk lines up against the other nut milks that dairy-free alternatives are available right now <laughs> yeah absolutely so there are a few core dairy-free alternatives that are out there and the biggest segment is actually almond and nut milks so sesame you know sesame is a seed so we don't group it in ah. with the almond and nut milks but what's common across the almond and nut milks is that they're very low in protein. At the end of the day, there aren't many almonds involved in making a liter of commercial almond milk. If you make it at home, you know, absolutely put in as many almonds as you want. In commercial almond milk, there's typically about four almonds per eight ounce serving or about 16 almonds per liter. So you don't get a lot of protein. With sesame milk, we wanted to create a more sustainable, more directly nutritionally comparable beverage to dairy milk. Because people are going into plant milks to replace dairy milk. And they're doing it because, you know, they believe that the plant milks are more nutritious, more sustainable, better for the earth, better for animals, all sorts of reasons. 
The issue with a lot of the non-dairy alternatives is that they don't deliver the same nutrition as dairy milk. So with Sesame, we set out to create a truly sustainable non-dairy milk that had a comparable nutrition to dairy milk. And the core of that is the protein. So sesame milk has eight grams of complete protein, all nine essential amino acids included. So a comparable protein to what you'd be getting in dairy. A lot of the other, and frankly, most of the non-dairy milks, if they provide protein, it is an incomplete protein or a partial protein. So that protein that you're getting in almond milk is a partial protein, similarly with oat milk. Soy provides a complete protein naturally, but soy has quite a few issues with GMOs and possible estrogen implications and things that have waned in popularity a bit over the last few years. But it still does provide you know, very adequate nutrition. With sesame, we're getting to something that is outside of the top eight major allergens. You know, 70% of the world is lactose intolerant. That's where a lot of the demand for plant-based milks is coming from, because that demand is even bigger overseas than what we see in North America, where there are larger percentages of the population that just can't consume lactose at all. What's unique about sesame milk is that nutritional comparability, as well as the sustainability. So sesame milk uses 95% less water than almond milk to create and 75% less than oat milk. Oat milk is also a bit of a different process. Oat milk is created enzymatically. And when you make oat milk enzymatically, it's a similar process to taking corn and converting it to high fructose corn syrup. The sugar that's created through processing oat milk is a maltose, so very high GI index sugar, which makes it taste very sweet. But also you'll find that very few almond milks are unsweetened on the market because Mm -hmm. that process creates added sugar that's declared on the label. The biggest segment of the non-dairy milk market is unsweetened. Folks are using it for recipes and for other products where they're adding their own sugar or their own flavorings. Mm. So with sesame milk to get rid of that bitter note, that was another challenge. Mm. And we created some organic compliant bitter blockers that float the bitter note over the tongue. So it's not absorbed and we can get rid of it without adding sugar. Wow. Gosh, this is so complex and so much that I would say like your average consumer just wouldn't know. Like imagine all products had to have placed on the front. I'm made up of 16 almonds and you're missing all of the nutritional ingredients from like from this extraction. And that's then, why they don't say it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the education that's missing is alarming and it's enormous and so, so clear. You know, Julia, I told you I would only take 20 minutes and I want to shift gears quickly because as you share all of this with me and and before we hit record, you did share that you also happen to be a mother. And I just need to know why you have chosen this purpose and this mission and this vocation to trade the days of your life for. Fair enough. When you look at what you can do and accomplish and want to go after, you know, a lot of it's about impact. Hmm. And, you know, where can we make an impact and where can we do something unique that we're not seeing done in the rest of the world? And for us, it's around food. You know, I spent some time early in my career in the tech space and in other industries and ended up getting into food and sticking with food because I saw the immense opportunity to impact and in fact change Mm. in a positive way because everybody eats food at the end of the day. 
And with what we're doing with the Planning Hope Company, the products we're creating also have global opportunities and implications. So we could impact food on a larger basis. But imagine the implications of unlocking the nutrition of a crop like sesame that thrives in arid environments where we're undergoing significant climate change. There could be a lot of impact up to that going forward. But it took five years of R&D for us to figure it out. It's not simple, but we're unlocking things that we think could have a lot of impact going forward. Wow. Amazing. And how much does being a female that has so many ands, you have many labels yourself that make up who you are. And what does that mean for you when you choose to make an impact in the world the way you are? So there are a lot of ways to make an impact. I think that the most important and impactful one is to lead by impacting change. If we show that women-led companies can be financially successful and return better results for investors, that takes away the tokenism of, well, we have to have a woman on the board. Mm. And that tokenism, I think, is dangerous because it cuts um, into the impact that women can have if they're just there as token representation and we had to have one. And you're seeing that on a lot of boards these days. Mm. So for us, it's the opportunity to say, look, you know, we're here. We decided to do this and we're successful doing it now. We're at the beginning of that journey. As yeah. long as our journeys have been, we're at the beginning of that. And so for us, the point is at this point to take what we're doing and make a successful mark in terms of our financial returns for our shareholders. And that makes the impact of female leadership that much more sticky yeah. uh, because it makes money. It'll stick around. Gosh, absolutely. My last question for you that you just alluded to is being female founded and female led And having seen the world, you've been through some different sectors, you've been through some different industries. And what would you say is a notable change in dynamic, in productivity, in how you work by being surrounded by females this time in your life? Yeah, it's a very distinct difference that we see in terms of how women operate. It's a more strategic, more comprehensive view of how all the pieces work together and Mm -hmm. function to get you to an effective end. We also see a lot more, how do we reward and reinforce all the sectors and levers within our organization, Mm -hmm. as opposed to an alignment with cronyism? You know, how do I get my buddy ahead? How do I take care of the people that I brought into the deal or that came from me? It's more about the broader picture than it is about, you know, delivering to a subset of one's network. But really the big picture thinking and being able to fit all the pieces together into dynamic whole vis-a-vis being more siloed that we see as being an immense difference between the way groups of senior female leadership work versus what I've experienced with larger groups of men. Wow. Steph, I just want to add one thing to that. We have throughout our company, although we're female dominated at the leadership level, throughout our organization, we're about half men, half women. The men who are super successful within our company, including the co-founders, embrace female leadership. And a lot of that's because they had strong women in their lives previously. Whether those be wives, mothers, or daughters, they've always embraced and kind of seen that as being successful and are not challenged by it, but actually enjoy it. Beautiful. So beautiful. I'm going to flip the script because I can't help but ask you this question. We normally finish with one question that's the same across the board. Yet what I really want to know, and perhaps inspired by your planting hope name is what is one hope that you have for the future for the next generation and if you could plant one seed of hope yourself 
for the next generation, what would that be? It's all about critical thinking. Mm -hmm. I think that the success of the next generation is entirely dependent on whether we teach them to think critically about the information that Mm -hmm. comes to them and about the information that's in front of them. Things like climate change, things like uh, politics, uh, things like dynamics in the workplace and everything else that's in front of them. If we teach them to think critically about this information and not be led, then we have a better chance of success. All right. Well, I'm inspired to think differently because of you. And I'm grateful that people like you are choosing to do the work that you're doing in the world. And even if this means we're miles apart, thousands of miles apart to know that we can connect in ways that are carbon neutral. And quite frankly, whoever is behind your social presence, your Instagram game is hot and is really worth following. (laughs) So I can't wait for you to come to Canada. And thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Oh, thank you, Steph. Greatly appreciate it.